1: Drugs, rock and roll, aliens, and all that kinds of shit. Come and join Ozzy and myself. Visit osbornmediahouse.com to get special access to, to. Come on! What do you say? Do you think it's the wildest show on the internet? Oh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the 4x4 Radio Network.
1: Hey guys, I want to welcome you to the first episode of the Four by Four Radio Network Roundtable. Uh, we're going to start with uh, our our newest member, uh, Greg. Greg, take a moment here to uh, tell us uh, why why I called you Glenn and what's just <laughs> what's what's your uh, <laughs> podcast.
0: <laughs> so, All right, I, uh, well, my name can can is I not interrupt? Glenn; it's Greg, But uh, you can call me Glenn if you want. If that works out <laughs> well for me, I'm the host of the Muddy Mike Podcast or Muddy Microphone Podcast. So. My show is mainly about uh, off-roading, ATVs, UTVs, uh, even a little dirt bike stuff thrown in there too. And, um, you know, really it's more recreationally focused than racing focused.
1: So I got to ask you real quick, what's the difference between an ATV and a UTV?
0: That's an excellent question. Uh, so an ATV, uh, easy way is an ATV would have handlebars. A UTV is like uh, a little car. So it's it's really new, I guess 2008 was the first year that UTVs came about. And that was, um, well, I shouldn't say that. It's probably earlier than that. But really, it came out with Polaris in 2008 is where it really became popular. But um, those are basically four-wheelers with large four-wheelers with roll cages and a steering wheel.
1: Gotcha. That's exactly what uh, the wife and I uh, drove uh, in the Nevada desert during uh, not this past SEMA, but the year prior. So I know exactly what these, those things are, and they're a lot of fun. Um, Do
2: you stand for in UTE.
1: I was
3: thinking utility. I, I assume it is for utility. However, some of them are not necessarily
0: utility. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's some they make that are pure utility. Um, and there's a few in between, and then there's a huge contingent of very, uh, very sporty type of UTVs.
2: Mm-hmm. So ATV is all terrain vehicle. UTV is utility terrain vehicle.
0: Sure, or you hear people call them side by sides too. Um, okay. You hear that as well, or Polaris Razor. Their product is so darn popular. You hear people ju- will just call them razors. Yeah, yeah eventually it's going to be like Kleenex. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like Xerox.
1: That's what. Uh, that's what the wife and I drove. We actually were in a four place uh, Pol- Polaris, and uh, but anyway, before we get too too far down the rabbit hole, let me. Uh, Uh, Jump over to John. John, uh, tell us, uh, you've already spoken, but tell the folks who you are and what you do, what kind of podcast you have.
2: Well, thank you for uh, having me on the first ever roundtable. My podcast is called Center Steer Podcast. That's C-E-N-T-R-E. And I will explain the spelling in just a moment uh, because uh, it is a Land Rover podcast by, for, and about Land Rovers uh, and Lo- Land Rover owners. And uh, so we spell center in the British spelling. So that's why it's C-E-N-T-R-E. And even though we're in North America uh, primarily, we do have some – I have, uh, over time, been able to get some uh, people join the panel uh, from the United Kingdom. And we've uh, had them on a couple times. That's been very nice, and it's a monthly podcast, and we talk about uh, old Land Rovers, new Land Rovers, uh, proposed Land Rovers, uh, off-roading, overlanding, uh, basically anything that might touch on a Land Rover we like to talk about. And recently, uh, in fact, uh, our most recent podcast, uh, we uh, were talking to a family that uh, is traveling pretty much all around the world. Uh, but they are right now in South America and they are headed up to Alaska and we talked to them while they were in Cancun, Mexico via Skype and, uh, really neat people traveling at a Land Rover Defender 130 and, uh, that was pretty cool. So that's, uh, that's kind of like the breadth of my podcast. What, uh,
1: what episode is that, that you talk to them on in case people are listening to this later and they'd like to find it?
2: That would be number 25. So that would be uh center steer, you go to centersteer.com and uh look for episode number twenty-five.
1: Is that the Lizzie Bus uh, interview?
2: No, Lizzie Bus was twenty-four, and Lizzie Bus is a uh a couple that have tra- that circumnavigated the world in a Land Rover Defender one ten, and they've done that once, they're gonna do it again.
1: Oh, okay. And- That's just I'm, <laughs> I haven't listened to the, all that whole, that all uh, the whole episode yet but it was very interesting the part that uh, that I heard and I need to get back to it. So let's uh, let's get our, uh, our our last team member in here Dan.
3: Yeah, so I am the host of the 4x4 podcast and it is uh my show is really kind of a wide range. Everything off-roading and outdoor lifestyle. So we'll always cover I try to have an interview on each of the episodes. Um, sometimes it's interrupted due to uh, my life and work, uh, but usually we'll have an interview with somebody in the industry or somebody that's doing something cool in the off-roading community. Uh, we also have a one of my favorites is the outdoor edibles segment where we talk about camp cooking and how to use a, a Dutch oven on your adventures um, because I'm a firm believer that you can eat well when you're off-road. You don't have to just eat trail mix and beef jerky. Uh, You can do better than that. Um, But we also have a, uh, we call it the off-road aptitude, where we'll talk about a product or service or something like that that will be beneficial as you're planning your adventures or actually out on your adventures. Um, And we've got a, I've got a co-host, Craig, and now Rich is coming on and joining the show. And Rich brings a lot. We'll talk dual sport stuff. Uh, He's got a a KT or not a KTM, but a KLR Kawasaki KLR motorcycle, and so he's given me the itch to to get a motorcycle. But uh, everything off roading, outdoor lifestyle is what you can find on the Four by Four podcast.
1: And if you've uh, if you haven't listened to uh, Daniel uh, Daniels Dan's uh, episode one hundred yet, you'll also find that motorcycle talk gets him punched at home.
3: Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. And it's coming up. The problem is now it's coming up more often. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to start running more so I can get away from this <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it's his wife that's punching him if uh, if uh, I didn't make that clear so uh, yeah great stuff now uh, I'm Tony and uh, I am one of the three hosts on uh, the XG talk show uh, I have uh, Josh and uh, Tammy that are my co-host uh, you may know Tammy as a jeep mama she's a, a prolific blogger and she's a new jeep owner in fact she's uh, a Two new Jeep owner because she got a uh, a Jeep Wrangler uh, J K Sahara, uh, went off roading with it. Decided that wasn't good enough, so she bought a Rubicon. <laughs> so she, uh, I think she had that C- uh, that uh, Sahara less than uh, a year or maybe less than two years. So she's learning a lot, and uh, we love having her on the show because we were primarily a Jeep Cherokee show. Not the new one, but the the one uh, from 84 through 2001, and uh, we were trying to expand our audience a bit, and uh, we thought uh, this is a great ad with uh, Tammy coming in as uh, a Wrangler owner and a woman. So uh, she brings a lot to the table on the show, and of course Josh and I have been uh, doing uh, segments and continuing to do segments like... uh, this week in Jeep, which is uh, Jeep News. Uh, we also do a, a campfire chat uh, segment that involves uh, everybody now uh, Tammy, uh, Josh, and myself. And we just sit there and shoot the breeze about what's going on with our Jeeps, what we're going to do, what's broke, uh, what has broken recently, or who's uh, hit us and run away. <laughs> so, a little, little inside thing that we were talking about before we started recording, guys. So, uh, that's, uh, that's kind of it in a nutshell. And uh, I'll, I'm going to open it up for the, the table here. Uh, we can uh, just uh, go freeform and talk about the things we'd like to talk about.
3: Well, well the uh, one thing I just I stumbled across earlier was this article about uh, Land Rover stepping into the Special Vehicle Operations Division. And so I wanted to ask my resident Land Rover expert. So, John, what do you know about the, uh, the Special I, Vehicle Operations
2: Hang on, let me let me get the resident Land Rover expert here. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Hey, thanks for calling me out first. Uh, Well, uh, Land Rover has, uh, I guess, big big news, and I'm going to go back a little bit before I answer your question. Um, But the the big news in Land Rover world is the model that everybody knows and loves, and is when you hear the word iconic, would be true true for this. And that's the Defender is going to come to a. Uh, close the end of this year 2015 and they're no longer going to produce uh, the, uh, the the Defender they're going to come out with a new model uh, I think to debut I believe in 2017 so there'll be a year break or maybe two uh, before that comes out but I think so they've I think it, it, to kind of massage uh, the transition to the new to the new uh defender they've been doing some things to help uh, ease people in and one of those is coming out uh with this special vehicle operations unit and the, the the main intent is to take existing models and then just make them a little bit more customized a little bit a little bit better for the person that is going to buy them. But they are also moving in, and I'm gonna throw another three letter acronym at you uh, to SVR, which is, or is it SVX or SVR? I'm looking at my notes here. It's a good uh, show. And, and it's going to be, or maybe it's even SVX, but it's gonna be for off road capable vehicles. So they're going to take special vehicles and then go even a little step further and make, and make kind of an off road r- r- version that would then be customized for whoever's buying and purchasing. No doubt not to be available here in the United States. Uh, <laughs> typically what happens with that kind of stuff, especially if it's a Defender. Now, if it's a you know, Range Rover, Range Rover Sport, uh, most you could probably get something here. But that's, that's the kind of the thought there. I think they're uh, trying to help us with this transition as we move away from the Defender.
1: So if I can jump in real quick, Dan. Uh, John, how does that make you feel that the Defender's not going to be made anymore?
2: Uh, not good. it will uh, be back. It has to come back. It's, it's. I mean, it. I I get the impression just from our our conversations that that we've had like before this and other times that I think you the 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 Jeep community has had the same problem where they took an iconic model and for whatever reason, good, bad, or indifferent, whether you agree or disagree with it, it had to change, and that's what's happening to the Defender. It's it it has to change and they and land rover is changing they uh you know they were jeez they were they were close to probably going away in the late 80s early especially in the 90s um and then they were purchased by uh, bmw and then which uh, bmw basically bought them so they could get the range rover information and that's why you have the x5 uh but then they sold them to ford and then ford pumped a lot of money into jaguar because by this point jag and land rover had been put together uh, punt money on the Jaguar, helped out Land Rover a little bit, kept them going and then, uh, sold out when Ford had problems and they sold them off to Tata out of India. And, uh, both Jag and Land Rover and Tata has been pumping a ton of money into them and, and they've been updating all their models. And so you're seeing the defenders now getting to that point of they're going to, uh, they're, they're going to, uh, you know, update that model and but make one other comment. Um, a lot of it has to do with the American market. Uh, if you're going to expand uh, production, you need to sell into the American market. And you currently, the defender is not available here in the United States. Uh, it hasn't meant safety uh, regulations that we've had since 1997. They had an exemption for a year or two, and that's why there were some defenders available here. I think 500 were available in the United States uh, for like a year and a half, to maybe two and a half years, and they haven't been back since. This is re- and, and they're. Very prized in the land Rover community, and so they're here they're go go they hold come. here they command a high price and their their resale value stays very very high uh you will see a defender and if it's less than thirty thousand dollars, you should buy it immediately uh even no matter what you know site unseen you almost want to you almost want to go for it I've seen them go for eighty seventy thousand dollars with you know you'll have one that has a hundred thousand miles on it and uh you know it's falling apart, and people still pay good money for it so there's a big demand for the defender here and so Land Rover's going to redo that's going to redo that whole model to to help bring it here and the the other reason the model's changing is regulations in europe Europe has uh, a new pedestrian. Uh, regulation for how a vehicle you know has to be able to impact if they were to, if you're to hit a pedestrian how that vehicle is going to react to it and uh, the defender doesn't fit that and so that's another reason to redo the model in anticipation of that uh, that regulation did I answer your question
1: absolutely yeah,
3: yeah, Maybe you know, more than you wanted ever <laughs> getting a special vehicle operations you know defender here in the states
1: I think the the thing that made the most sense to me was about them wanting to get into the american market and if if they they don't make a vehicle that can be uh, sold in america they're losing lots of money so that one argument made a lot of sense to me i'm a little concerned about the bumper though if if this is really an off-road vehicle and it's it's made to um you know crumple or break away or i don't know uh, explode inwards when when it hits a pedestrian how good is that going to be for an off-road vehicle
2: These are excellent questions. I think that's uh, that's part of the challenge, not only for Land Rover, for you know, for all the uh, automakers, no matter you know, Mercedes, BMW, Audi, uh, Volkswagen, even Jeep, because in Chevrolet, they're they're, Chevrolet's trying to expand into Europe, especially in the UK. Um, So everybody has to deal with it. It's a good question. I don't know the answer to it.
1: Now let me ask you this. This may not be something that's uh, relevant to to Greg, but. Let me, let me ask, if you want to jump in, Greg, please do. Uh, Dan, I think I, I first saw this was a, a post that you made, and uh, Josh actually talked about this in our uh, most recent uh, uh, episode of uh, the XJ Talk Show. in uh, this week in Jeep, he was talking about manufacturers potentially seeking to keep uh, using copyright infringements to keep you from working on your own vehicle.
3: Yeah, we actually talked about that on episode 101 and so uh, they're trying to make the argument under the DMCA, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, uh, where uh, you don't actually own the vehicle, I think. You kind of own the rights to operate the vehicle, but any modifications, be it you know, replacing even with a stock part, is not authorized unless you are a certified mechanic. And the article that we pulled from is a fairly lengthy one, and so it's worth digging into and reading yourself um and They've kind of had this argument for a very long time, and I think what they're trying to get away from is the the liability of having somebody else monkeying with the systems and with there being so such a complex operating systems and network stuff going inside the vehicles um I mean, they've nearly made it so difficult that it, you can't even work on the vehicle as it is. Um, but now they're just trying to make it a law that you can't actually get into the hood and do anything. So, I mean, a lot of vehicles already, you don't get a, a, a service, you get a software upgrade. <laughs> of course, that's not how it works with my old Jeep Cherokee. Or no. uh, even my, you know, 2007 Yukon, it's still not that complex. Right. Uh, there's a lot of mechanical systems that are just simply mechanical systems and uh, replacing a sensor is just replacing a sensor as far as I'm concerned. But I don't think they're going to make it too far with that argument uh, until we start having robotic cars and stuff like that. But, yeah,
1: I guess I can see that. Now, now Greg, yeah, I, I, I don't know that this affects uh, you at all, but uh, I'm sure you drive something besides uh, ATV or UTV on the road. Uh, what's your main vehicle?
0: Um well no I don't actually I just drive my four-wheeler uh, all year round that's, that's a horrible joke sorry I'll come back to know. that
3: cuz I have a question
0: about that <laughs> No I uh, well actually to to go on to dance point um I haven't seen you know especially with 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 my niche um you know we we modify everything uh, you know we spend a lot of time in that and there's a huge market for that um so I haven't seen anybody push to not be able to modify what the OEM pushes out but what we have seen uh, which we're starting to see a lot more with side by sides uh, is uh, they came out with the ROV mandate, which basically it's the CPSC and some of their you know in my opinion very questionable data as to what's safe or not safe about UTVs, and they're trying to push OEMs to you know for example uh, lower ground clearance. Um, You know, widened vehicles, which, you know, for us folks that that live in the Northeast, you know, a lot of the trails that I ride are ATV trails, and they have to be at least 50 inches or less to get on them. Um, So that's a game changer for us, and along with some other things, too, like seatbelt interlock and a whole bunch of crazy stuff that I don't think needs to be on a UTV that's more automotive. Uh, So that's a hot topic right now for us and for myself is, you know, what's going to happen with that? I know... You know, you guys probably remember when three-wheelers were, you know, big in the mid-80s and they came out with a consent decree and basically said, hey, you can't manufacture three-wheelers anymore. They're off the market. And, you know, now today it's, you know, you're lucky if you can get a hold of them. So um, I guess my biggest concern, I've talked about it on my podcast a few times, my biggest concern is, you know, my community that, you know, I'm involved with, um, we don't do a good job of getting together as one united voice and enacting change. And my biggest fear is um, the CPSC is just going to roll through with this and nobody's going to contest it.
1: Yeah, it makes exact uh, a lot of sense because you have to have a, a big voice uh, to be heard to keep things from changing. You know, it's funny. You mentioned the three-wheeler uh, the, uh, next to my mom's house, the neighbors. They had one of those for a short period of time and uh, the youngest daughter uh, fell off of that thing, and I think she hit a tree. She had a bruise about the size of Montana for several weeks. She was okay, but uh, it was huge, huge bruise. And it was uh, they were out there just you know balls to the walls, and uh, <laughs> they don't turn that well. <laughs> so I can uh, I can see that uh, the four wheelers are, are much safer. Uh, although uh, those things are pretty heavy, and uh, without any kind of roll bar uh, on top of them, I can imagine they uh, they get pretty heavy and hot. Whenever they're on top of you,
0: yeah. And I, I tell you what, I, I spent a lot of time looking at the. If you ever go to the CPSC website, they have a really good. Well, I shouldn't say good. They have a large <laughs> website uh, that has some some data on it, and they have a lot of information about you know accidents for UTVs. And my biggest problem, or you know, UTVs, ATVs, whatever. My biggest problem with it is it's just very incomplete. Like. Anytime there's an ATV accident, I actually get like Google alerts. And anytime there's an ATV or UTV accident, it goes to my inbox. And I've been doing this for months now. And, you know, kind of when you put together the CPSC data and then you look at, you know, this is all completely informal and not scientific. You put it all together, um, it just, it's very incomplete and there isn't good research on accidents that happen. So, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is a lot of these accidents that happen, it's either hey, guy wasn't wearing a seatbelt. Uh, they had more people on an ATV than should have been on an ATV and were operating unsafely, uh, driving on a road when they shouldn't have been. I, I don't know. I, It gets me. Fired up a little bit when people, and I'm not pointing the finger at you guys, but when people say that ETVs or UTVs are unsafe, and they throw it out there when you know really the data doesn't show that, and you know that's my other problem with the CPSC is they put that out there and project it, and their data is incomplete, and people take it as gospel. Sure, and and I'll get off my soapbox. Go ahead, proceed.
1: No, I oh, think well, uh, I think the question, passion is a good thing to have. I'm sorry, Dan. Go ahead.
0: So my question is, you know the.
3: The UTVs, like the Polaris Razor, looks like an incredibly safe vehicle. Um, it's got, well, I don't know if it's stock, but it comes with doors. It's got a roll cage. It's got at least three-point harnesses, seatbelt harnesses. Is there going to be a time when these are actually road legal? Because from you know most of the listeners to the 4x4 podcast are, for the most part, against UTVs because... I am looking here at their website. The Razer XP One Thousand EPS is twenty grand plus freight <laughs> and setup. So yeah, I, it, have, I have. It to doesn't agree. take much more, and you're in an entry level, brand new Jeep Wrangler.
1: I could buy ten Jeep Cherokees and drive yeah. them on the road.
3: <laughs> yeah, and put a lift on them. Yeah. <laughs> so it just seems to me like if they would somehow figure out a way to make these road legal. People would be buying them even faster than they already are.
0: Yeah, I would say, well, there are some places where it is. So if you go out to, you know, Arizona, um, I think Kentucky or Tennessee, you can, if you put some mirrors on it, uh, put radial tires on it, you can put it on the road, turning signals, some stuff like that. You can get them on the road. There's a few states that do it. There's a few states that that do that. Um, Also, too, I think a lot of townships now will allow or have allowed ATVs, West Virginia is a glaring example, um, where they will allow UTVs, ATVs, whoever, to ride from trailhead to trailhead so you don't have to trailer, which has helped. I think that's a big part of it. Um, and to, to kind of talk to your question about the price, I mean, you can, you know, I mean, heck, you can buy a four-wheeler for as low as, you know, $6,000. Like you said, you can buy a Razor 1000. Heck, they make turbos now and, you know, you can put twenty three, twenty four thousand dollars $24,000 into it. But, you pay twenty three thousand bucks. You're getting a quality machine with some yeah. pretty high performance parts. You know some, you know solid, you know Walker Evans Fox shocks, coil over suspension, trailing arms. I mean, it's like a mini trophy truck. It is yeah. not a, you know, it's it's not a road vehicle for sure.
1: Let me ask you this, and and I don't know if this is common or not, but I have a a buddy of mine who whose uh, brother bought one of those eighteen thousand uh, dollar UTVs. Took it out a few times and wound up having, they both uh, got together and to, had to uh, wind up replacing the uh, upper and lower control arms because the ones they had on there were crap. And I thought for $18,000, you could get some decent control arms. Is, is this a typical thing that you see, that these things are being sold for off-road use? You use them a few times, and you know, of course, you're, you're hard on it because it's a dedicated off-road uh, product, and then you have to wind up buying some aftermarket stuff just to keep it going.
0: Yeah, I mean, it really depends. You know, I've heard. You know, my my model, I have a a Razer 800. It's a cross country version, so it has you know like walker even shocks. You know, it has a like a foot of ground clearance. You know, some pretty decent travel. You know, it's it's a you know it's a quality machine, and I've had no problems whatsoever. I mean, I it's it's a CVT drive, so it it's basically a belt driven, kind of like a snowmobile. Oh, okay, that makes sense. A snowmobile clutch. So, and my always my biggest concern is that thinking belt is going to break. I always feel like that's a <laughs> failure point. But, yeah. you know, every time I take the the, the shroud off at the belt looks fantastic. Um, I've had no real major issues and I've run dead on into, you know, into trees and, you know, <laughs> done some pretty dumb stuff. Um, and I, I've been solid, but on the same token, I've been on some forums and people have the same model that I have. And all they do is complain about all these mechanical problems and I'm, it just shakes my head. So you guys probably deal with the same thing though. Sure.
3: Yeah, you get yeah. one made on a Monday
0: and <laughs> yeah, it just falls apart. Well,
3: it really yeah. depends on the
1: on the on the driver. Uh, I'm sure how much they weigh and how much alcohol they've had. So uh, <laughs> you just you just never know. But I just I was surprised. I, I have no problem with somebody spending hundred thousand dollars or something if that's what they want to spend it on. It just boggles my mind that you can't even drive on the road. So like to Dan's point, I think it would be wonderful if uh, if they were to lobby. Uh, the local governments or federal government where they could actually drive those things onto the road. I think it'd be a blast uh, driving a a modified uh, uh, go-kart, if you will, especially as fast as those things go and as high as they sit. I mean, the one that uh, we drove in uh, Nevada was just a a blast to drive. At no time did I I feel unsafe, and we were were moving up and down those dunes. So uh, anything could happen, but nothing did.
0: Yeah, it'd be nice to see. You know, I mean, I, I think we're we're doing a better job when you look across the country. There's definitely a lot more areas that are embracing uh, riding areas. You know, I, I think I've I've talked about this before on my podcast too. But you know, as coal as the coal industry dies across the you know mid Atlantic and you know Kentucky to West Virginia to Pennsylvania, as that industry dies, there's you know acres and acre thousands of acres of land. That is has opened up that people can't build on, they can't really do anything with, and they're turning it into riding areas. And those townships are realizing, you know, that surround it, are realizing, hey, there's a whole economy here. Mm-hmm. Um, if you ever, if you're interested in geeking out and doing some reading, uh, there's a great uh, uh, Hatfield-McCoy trails, the big trail system through West Virginia. Uh, they did a very in-depth study, uh, it's called, it was the impact study, they call it, on the impact of the trail systems and the tourism uh, of all the people coming and riding those trails. And, you know, it was millions and millions of dollars. And people, you know, in Pennsylvania, for example, I just did a podcast last week about they're proposing 800 more, or connecting trails in central Pennsylvania, that'll put 800 miles of trails together. And part of that was based on or part of that sell that they did to the the local politicians was based on the impact study from West Virginia and all those millions of dollars they pumped into that economy that was dying.
1: You know, it sounds like uh, just a, a huge fun adventure uh, that uh, may be happening. And uh, with that open air environment, I can imagine that would be a, a, a lot, very exhilarating, a lot of fun. And hey, gosh, if you spent that much money on a, a UTV, uh, it'd be nice to go to someplace that was wide open and nice, uh, to, uh, to, to ride it. Hey, uh, Dan, let me ask you real quick. So Dan, you're getting ready to make a big time trip. You're you're physically moving from one location that we call the United States to an- another location that is loosely called the United States. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. I am uh, actually getting ready to move again uh, from the Kansas City area up to the interior of Alaska. Uh, this is another move because of my job, um, but this time I am not taking the Jeep. I mean, well, the Jeep's going, I'm not taking it. I'm going to drop it off with a commercial shipping company and they're going to haul it up there for me. Um, but we're going to do as a family, an Overland style trip, uh, all kind of living out of the, uh, the Yukon XL. And I'm building a trailer specifically for this adventure. And it's going to have everything from electricity to a hot shower and the kitchen, um, I don't know who I was talking to, joking about it. You know, I said, oh, well, you should add a kitchen sink. I said, oh, I already got, got the kitchen <laughs> sink figured out. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's the easy part. <laughs> yeah. You're going to have to come up with something more creative than that to stump me a bit. Uh, it has been quite the project. And I'm about 80% finished now. Uh, I still have to run the plumbing for the water tank and the the pump and the the lights on the interior. Uh, but the trailer is basically going to be a gear hauler and then we'll put a rooftop tent on the vehicle and a bike rack for the bikes. So we have some entertainment whenever we stop for the evenings and stop along the way. But it's going to be really fun to explore uh, a, lot of, a lot of the Pacific Northwest areas. We're going through, uh, to, through Yellowstone National Park as well, meeting up a bunch of friends and family along the way. And probably a lot of listeners to the 4x4 podcast. I'm trying to plan some meetups in various cities, such as Portland, and there's really not a whole lot of large cities between Denver and Portland, but <laughs> you know, we are going to share our location, so if you're in that area, you can find us and uh, shake our hand, we'll give you a sticker, high five, whatever. Um, but it's going to be fun. I haven't driven through British Columbia or the Yukon Territory, and I've never been to Alaska, so... I'm gonna bring my bear spray, I think, and my bow.
0: Well, Keep the critters nice. at, at you know, distance. I,
1: I would recommend some shark repellent too, because you never know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yep. hey, hey Dan, you should go like the forest gump route and just start running <laughs> to Alaska and uh, then your yeah. listeners can kind of join up behind you. So when you get up there, it <laughs> can be great. the Yeah. Uh, I only run because I have to. <laughs> <laughs> he only
1: runs if there's a bear behind him. So That's uh it. so is the I can imagine the kids are are all for this. But how does, the, how does your wife feel about this? Because this is really
3: rough in it. You know, she's really excited. And this is actually going to be much more comfortable than the camping that we've done in the past. Uh, this is going to be on a constantly flat surface. It's going to be, you know, there's a mattress inside those rooftop tents. And there's no rocks underneath the mattress. <laughs> so it's going to be a lot more comfortable. Uh, plus having a, a toilet that doesn't smell like an outhouse and a hot water shower. Everywhere we go, it's going to be awesome. So, well, that's going great.
1: to be great. So, so basically, your plan was to make it miserable for these number of years prior to this Alaska right, right. Alaska move. Get them accustomed
3: <laughs> to the misery, and then say, "Hey, look at this! It's such a great idea, and, and I don't have that, to pay twenty thousand dollars for yeah, a camper trailer."
1: And that <laughs> means that you get to spend the the twelve or fifteen hundred dollars for the 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 tent and do all this yeah. sort of trailer brilliant move absolutely brilliant move you got
3: yeah well played huh
1: insidious was <laughs> is something that comes to mind
3: well that's great you know, and my I'm wife loves camping and it's I've had so many great times growing up I see the value in just having your kids outside there's so many life lessons that are missed by folks who never leave the confines of the concrete jungle so you know the first time I saw my my girls actually chase a frog and pick it up and hold it in their hands. That's a special thing because sure. most kids are just completely, they'll lose their minds if, if you have a ladybug land on their shoulder. But. So
1: uh, what are the uh, ages of your children?
3: Uh, at the time of the trip, my oldest will be nine. Uh, the middle one will be seven. And the youngest, a little CJ, is going to be uh, one and a half. So he's not going to
1: have any memory of this, Willie.
3: No, no. If, if he says he does, it will be fake, but there will be many more adventures. <laughs> He'll be remembering
1: uh, video and pictures, but good enough. <laughs> yep, yeah. <laughs> so that's great. Well, uh, and I'm sure that you're going to be continuing to do the podcast. This is about what a three or four week trip that you're going to be uh, going on. It's, yeah, It's not just yeah, a drive straight through in
3: three or four weeks. That gives us some buffer. Uh, there's, there is a, a, a hard date that I have to be up in Alaska. Um, But outside that, we've got a lot of flexibility. It'll just be a one-month vacation. And uh, fortunately, the government does pay for us to drive up there, so we'll have to pay a little bit out of pocket for all the detours and other things like that. But uh, it's one of the many benefits of being in the military. Highly recommend it. So it's going to be a great time.
1: Sounds like it's going to be a great adventure and a boon to your uh, subscribers over at the 4x4 podcast to be able to hear uh, your adventure. Do you have any kind of plans for the uh, for the podcast? I mean, do you know if you're going to be doing one or two, maybe more episodes, or maybe a series of short uh, episodes?
3: Yeah, I I don't know how many episodes we're actually going to do, but I have done a test episode where I can actually record an, a podcast episode while we're driving. Uh, fortunately, the Yukon is quiet enough. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't do that in my Jeep, right? Um, but I can set the the GoPro up on the dashboard, looking back at us, and have a higher quality microphone to pick up the audio, and we'll just record uh, some of the sights and sounds of the trip uh, with my wife. And uh, you know, we are gonna, like I said, gonna be doing some meetups. Uh, we're meeting up with Bo Johnston from Living Overland and Toyota Cruisers and Trucks magazine. Go through Yosemite. Um, like I said, meeting up listeners in Portland and Seattle. We're going to the Northwest Overland Rally and Workshop in Washington. And uh, we've even got some listeners up in Canada, maybe up in the Yukon. So it's going to be great. Excellent. Well, Greg, I don't
1: know if you have anything that you wanted to add about your any upcoming uh, guests or anything that you have on your, your show. If uh, If not, maybe you can just let us know how people can find you.
0: Can you hear me? Yes, sir. I'm sorry. I missed that last part. You were chopping up.
1: Let me just take a quick pause here. So, Greg, I was just wondering if you had anything on your upcoming shows that you wanted to share with us or uh, maybe how people can find you and uh, get a hold of you on social media.
0: Yeah, you can uh, follow me on Twitter, Facebook, uh, the website, where you can download the podcast is uh, www.muddymike.libson.com and uh, pretty active on Instagram as well. So any of those avenues you can follow me on. Uh, also, I'm pretty excited. Uh, probably going to be having uh, Brian Fisher on. I think I'm actually interviewing Brian Fisher on Thursday. So he's a pretty big uh, figure in the ATV industry.
1: Excellent. Well, uh, we'll certainly be looking forward to that. And uh, uh, congratulations for be- uh, in becoming a, uh, the newest member of the the uh, 4x4 Radio Network, and the 4x4 Radio Network Roundtable. So, Dan, how can people find you? I think uh, everybody knows, but just in case uh, they're they're new to this whole thing.
3: Yeah, the best place to go to find us is the 4x4podcast.com. And from there, you can get to our Facebook page, to Twitter, to Instagram, Google+, Plus, all the blah, 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 all the different networks and... uh <laughs> You know, be sure to subscribe in iTunes or just use the RSS link and uh, download all the episodes and tell your friends.
1: Well, great, and of course you can find uh, the XJ Talk Show uh, on uh, xjtalkshow.com. dot com. We're also on Facebook, uh, uh, XJ Talk. We're also on uh, the YouTube YouTube slash XJ Talk uh, dot page, I believe it is. So we're about everywhere you can. Uh, you can even uh, think to f- ever think to find us. So uh, with that, we're going to call this to a close. Unfortunately, we lost John earlier, so we'll, uh, I'll uh, say goodnight for John. And uh, thank you guys very much for listening.